All right. Good morning, Pastor Good morning Jeff. Good morning there, Pastor Greg. How's we, it going? Uh, pretty well. We are keeping our distance yes. this morning. That is a fine chair you're sitting in. Yeah, this is, a, it's, it's got some flowers. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it fits my personality. All right. So on Palm Sunday, uh, definitely the soundtrack uh, uses the lyrics, Hosanna. And just want to notice at the beginning here, as we bring God's word together this morning, um, there are parts of our lives that have soundtracks where all we need are just a few notes of music and it really brings us somewhere. So here's a little musical test for you, okay? Okay. Just a few notes. You at home can play as well. Here we go. See if you can put yourself there. Dun, 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 ba, ba, dun, ba, dun. Star Wars! Where are we, right? It only, it only takes like seven or eight notes, and we can see that growing uh, crawl on the movie screen, and it transports us to a galaxy far, far away. One more in the spirit of springtime. Ready? Yep. Here we go. Bum, ba, dum, bum, bum, ba, dum. Wrigley Field! Or not, depending <laughs> whether you're a north sider or a south sider. True. Right? You just need a few notes and you can imagine yourself, take me out to the crowd. Right? You're at the baseball game. Um, Lord willing, this will all happen again at some point in the future. Just a few notes and we find ourselves in the soundtrack and be totally transported to a different place. Now, the reason I bring this up is that our scripture text for today uh, comes from Psalm 118. And on the first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, very much both Jesus and the crowd in Jerusalem were very self-conscious that the soundtrack for that day was Psalm 118. Um, 2,000 years ago, there would have been a tune and there would have been lyrics 2,000 years later. Like, we still have the lyrics. We have no idea what the tune would have sounded like um, all those years ago. But Jesus and the crowd, nonetheless, were on the same page. Now, Psalm 118 is a victory psalm. We don't know exactly on what occasion in the Old Testament, but God had done something remarkable and rescued a small kingdom that didn't look like it was going to be win a victory, a small king who didn't look like he had the political power and the army big enough to win a great victory, and God brought them a great victory nonetheless. Jesus, as he comes into town, quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And the crowd quotes Psalm 118, verse 26, right back at him. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. So they had this almost like intuitive agreement that Psalm 118 is the soundtrack for this day. So Pastor Jeff and I have chosen three points of connection between Psalm 118 and what Jesus did um, in the days surrounding Holy Week. And we're going to help make that connection as we see Jesus consciously fulfilling the mission of God. Here's the first connection. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9 say this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to trust in princes. Now this psalm contrasts our trust in God with trust in any other contenders. I'm reminded um, of a different place in Psalms where it says, some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we as the people of God trust in the name of our God. These days we could say some may trust in economic stability, some may trust in political cleverness and solution, but we still as the people of God trust in the name of our Lord. 
Perhaps we are living in days similar to those when Psalm 118 was written, days when things seemed shaky, where things maybe seemed like they were falling apart, where there was not enough to win a victory unless God would come down and do something. Sometimes we need to trust God to hold things together that we didn't even know needed to be held together. So when Jesus rides to Jerusalem, into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, he is offering himself as the refuge of God, as the helper, as the person that they can put their trust in. This ride in Jerusalem begins the last week of his life on earth. He had come with a message of the kingdom, right? The kingdom that he was the king of. The kingdom that had authority over all the darkness and all the other chaos the world could offer. But he didn't just come with a message. He came with power. And he put on display the message with his life. Think about it. He touched the untouchables. He healed those with diseases. He made the blind see. He made the lame to walk. He actually lifted people's heads up who were downcast and felt like they were cast out of society. He let people know that in spite of their sins and failures, they were really loved by God. And let them know that with his own touch and the way he looked at them, right? He was known as the friend of sinners. So when Jesus comes to Jerusalem his first Palm Sunday, he is offering himself willingly to these people and to us as God's refuge. Now if you think about it, in this pre-Genesis 3 world, this whole coronavirus thing would never really be happening, right? I mean, it was a beautiful and perfect world that God had made. But when Adam and Eve decided to make a choice to go their own way and agree with the enemy's story instead of God's story, it unleashed on the world this kind of assault that led to a broken world and a broken bunch of people, right? Romans 8 says it this way, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So think about it. The creation is broken. We have actually broken it. Seriously. We have polluted waters. We have uh, sort of crazy weather patterns. We have marred landscapes. And now we have this rogue virus that has been unleashed in the human race, literally, passing from animals to humans, illustrates how broken the creation is. It's crazy. And people are suffering all over the world because of the brokenness of the creation, groaning in anguish, hoping for something to change, for something to be delivered. Now, it'd be easy for us to think about the coronavirus as being our, like, number one problem in the world, but it's not really true We actually share a virus that is much more damaging than the coronavirus. Yeah, we all have it. And we all pass it on to our children, to the third and fourth generations, and even beyond. This virus is actually more lethal than the coronavirus and leads to death and a life that's not really life. When Jesus came down that mountain on that first Palm Sunday, he knew that he had come to heal broken people and heal a broken world who had been subjected to this virus that we call sin, right? And that that refuge, that healing he was offering didn't just come for now. It extended way into eternity. Now, do you have to get tested to find out if you have this virus? Not really. Let me give you a little test this morning. 
Um, if you walk around with a narrative in your head or a tape playing in your head, reminding yourself of all the mistakes you've made and the failures you've had and the ways you've messed life up, or maybe you walk around like feeling like something's not quite right inside, like it's just not quite the way you're supposed to be, or maybe you just live with a constant sense of, man, my life is just a mess, or I feel trapped in this situation or my circumstances, or I just don't measure up, or... You know, it goes on and on and on. Or maybe a sin keeps revisiting you, a destructive pattern that just keeps coming back. And even though you know it's no good for you, you just keep going there. Well, if you have any of those symptoms, you've got the virus. So do I. So does Pastor Greg. We all have it. And guess what? Jesus offers a cure. The only thing you have to do is reach out and take it willingly. Now, here's what's crazy. When it comes to the coronavirus, if tomorrow was announced that there was a cure for the coronavirus, and if you just went and got this shot or took this pill or took this medicine or whatever you had to do, people would be standing in line because we're so desperate to be done with this thing. But I wonder if we feel the same way about the, the cure being offered by Jesus for this other virus we have. It seems like we're so anxious to be through with this coronavirus, but... The other virus, it seems like we're a little more hesitant to let go of it. One of the saddest verses in the New Testament is John 12, 37. It reads like this. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Wow. In spite of Jesus putting on display God's power and authority over anything the world could throw their way, they still didn't believe. So the question this morning do you believe? Do you want this cure that Jesus offers? Do you want to take him in? That's his offer to you this morning. Movement two, Pastor Greg. All right. Thanks, bro. Uh, we are going to head back to Psalm 118, verses 22 to 27. I forgot to mention earlier, if you want to pause the live stream and grab your Bible so you can follow along, that would be lovely. If you're already on the internet, if you want to surf over to Bible Gateway and open up a tab there and follow along, reading from the New International Version. So in these five verses, we're going to notice just how close the connections are between the psalm and what happened on that first Palm Sunday. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus literally quoted those words. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Old translation, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Literally, that word is Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Literally, the words that the crowd sang as Jesus came in on the donkey. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. And with boughs in hand, or palm branches in hand, join in the festal procession. Pretty much every word that I just read from Psalm 118 was reenacted when Jesus rode into town. Psalm 118 is the soundtrack for Palm Sunday. Now, some of this was planned and prepared for. Jesus actually asked his disciples to go into Jerusalem in advance and find the donkey for him to ride on. He very much had this scene and this musical soundtrack in mind. Um, palm branches, palm boughs, are not actually native to Jerusalem directly, so those had to be carried in by others who were expecting 
uh, parade time who are expecting this moment to wave these victory palms in the air as they were bringing in their coming king, this guy Jesus of Nazareth. Now the crowds thought that they were totally in lockstep with Psalm 18. But were they right, Klein? Were they putting exactly the right pieces of the puzzle in place? Not exactly, not exactly. In fact, if we look at the kind of background of this first palm parade that ever happened, we kind of realized some things. First, we have to look at the crowd. Now, I'm not going to read these verses, but they'll pop up on the screen for you. But the first group of people in the crowd are the people that are there for the feast. What feast? The Feast of Passover. Historians believe that the population of Jerusalem swelled by 70 to 100,000 people during this feast. It was one of the pilgrimage feasts where, feasts where people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there was not enough places for them to stay, so they'd be staying all over the Mount of Olives, like literally camped there. So all these people are gathered, they've come for this religious festival, and now this guy, this upcountry Messiah is coming on this donkey, and they're caught up in the whole thing. A second group of people in the crowd, people that actually were present when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They actually witnessed it with their own eyes. And they're in the crowd, and they're running around, and they're spreading the word, hey, this is the guy that raised this Lazarus guy from the dead. We were there. We saw it. You got to check it. Check this guy out. There's another group of people there. That's the people that um, were actually kind of the curiosity seekers. They were wanting to come and, and sort of check out this miracle worker, right? They had heard about this miracle, but was it really real? Was this guy for real? So they were there to kind of check him out. And they also wanted to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. If they could put their eyes on him, that could be amazing. In addition to all these people that were in the crowd, there were the religious leaders. Their fear was that this Jesus was going to mess up their whole program, take away their power, their position. So they were kind of watching from a distance going, how do we get rid of this guy? How do we take him out? How do we stop all this chaos? And then there were, there's his disciples. His disciples were playing along, getting the donkey like Pastor Greg talked about. But John tells us they really didn't get what happened or what was going on until after the resurrection. Now, there's another clue in the story, and that is the palms. Palms don't grow naturally around Jerusalem. You have to bring them in from somewhere. Probably Jericho, which is like 20 miles away. So somebody brought these palm branches to Jerusalem for the celebration. Now, maybe they brought them for the Feast of Passover. They were usually used for the Feast of Tabernacles in October, but this had sort of become a thing now to use them for all these festivals. Or maybe they were brought because they were trying to make a statement about who this Jesus was going to be or who they wanted him to be. Palms, people in, the, in that ancient world have been really familiar with palms and with triumphal processions. In fact, when Caesar would come back from conquering an army, an enemy, he would march through the streets and they would wave palm branches to symbolize victory and triumph and strength. And they would yell, Hail Caesar, the Son of God, the great King. Right? So when Jesus comes riding and these people start yelling these words, it's clear that they're trying to make Jesus into some sort of king that maybe he doesn't really want to be. And there's one final clue in Psalm 118. Actually, they, in the words in Psalm 118 that Pastor Greg read are, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in John, we learn the people add a line that's not in Psalm 118. They yell out, blessed is the king of Israel. So again, they're not really after Jesus being the person who he wants to be or needs to be to kind of solve this world's problem of viruses and brokenness and to heal the world. They want him to be a king that's going to deliver them from the Romans. Now, I wonder, to be honest this morning, how, much, how different we are from these people. Seriously. I mean, have we ever taken Jesus and 
I don't know, connect them to one of our own agendas? Have we ever made Jesus in our own image? When we think about following Jesus, do we get it? Or are we just like the people in this crowd? I was thinking this week about this time we're in. It's a time when we kind of feel out of control, right? Like, like we've kind of lost control of the steering wheel. It reminds me of when I had teenage drivers in my house. You know, having teenage drivers was awesome. When they were first learning how to drive, they always wanted to drive. Now, this was good when you wanted them to run an errand or maybe, like, take themselves to their silly sports contest or whatever it would be, right? It was awesome. You could just keep sitting on the couch. But when you were going out as a family and the teenage drivers wanted to take the wheel, they wanted to drive, it was hard. I mean, I didn't want to let go of the wheel. I didn't want to give up control. I didn't know if I trusted them. It's not very different than I am right now. Like, think about it. I still like to take the wheel. I like to determine which direction my to decide. Build to Jesus. But in this coronavirus time, it's almost like we're being asked to give the wheel to Jesus. We're being asked to yield the wheel because he's reminding us that we really aren't in control anyway. So as you're kind of celebrating this king coming into your life again this Palm Sunday, I hope that you can take this posture and just say, Jesus, I need you to take the wheel because I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I can do it. All right. That takes a tremendous amount of trust. It does. Right? To let go. Um, for the final part of this message, we're going to read from both the beginning and the ending of Psalm 118. Uh, when the Bible text appears on the screen, the words that are in yellow would encourage you to read them, to speak them out loud wherever you might be. Here's how Psalm 118 starts. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Altogether, his love endures forever. Now let Israel say, his love endures forever. And let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. And let everybody who fears the Lord say, his love endures forever. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 118. Now on the bottom of your screen is the final verse of Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His, His love endures forever. Do you sense a theme here? Something in common? <laughs> right? Yes, his love endures forever. Where is our refuge? Where can our trust be put when we take our hands off? In the enduring forever love of God. The bookends of this psalm are God's agenda for what he wants to sink down deep into our heart. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. For several hundred years uh, leading up to Jesus' day, the week of Passover had its own soundtrack, its own playlist. On the few days leading up to the feast of Passover itself, it was Psalm 113 and 114. And on the day of Passover, it was Psalm 115, 116, 117, concluding with Psalm 118. It's interesting that in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, there is this line that concludes the scene of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. The Bible says this, after they had sung a hymn or a song together, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, as a musician, I've always been super curious. Like, what is the song that Jesus would have sung and like having the desire in my heart, like, wow, I wish I knew what that song was so we could uh, join in or sing it again. In all likelihood, 
the last words that were sung out of the mouths of Jesus and his disciples before heading out to the Mount of Olives were the words of Psalm 118 concluding with, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Pastor Jeff, what do you think of that? Are, the, are those good words for when Jesus headed out into the dark of night for his final night, for betrayal, for sacrifice, and for suffering? Super good words. In fact, Luke tells us he was crying on his way into Jerusalem on that donkey. It says he was crying because the people didn't recognize the time that God had come to them. And I have to believe he's also crying because of the weight he was going to experience, right? The weight of his job, his role to bring healing to the world. And all that that would that we require of him, you know? And I think probably he needed to know that God's love endured forever. He was a picture that God's love endured forever. In his own person on the cross, he offered himself freely because God's love endures forever. So right now as we're going through this time, we can cling to that hope. We can grab onto that Jesus and we can know that we can rest in his love. Let's pray together. Jesus, we know that you are in control. We know, Lord, that you are the Lord of the universe. We know, Lord, that this psalm, this ancient psalm that, that celebrates you as a refuge and as a strength, someone we can trust in, whose love always endures. So this morning, Jesus, we bless your name. We lift it up in this place. We lift it up across the world. We know, Jesus, because of you, we can be healed. We can receive newness and power and new life in your name. In your name we pray all these things. Amen.